0: Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by TJ Kenyon. TJ, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, David. I'm definitely excited to be here and uh, dive into some of the things that I talk about almost every day uh, with our students.
0: Awesome. I think this will be... Yeah, I think this will be a good one. So yeah, for folks who are meeting you for the first time, uh, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so I am the program manager at Learning Views. Uh We're a coding boot camp, um, something a lot of your listeners are probably pretty familiar with um, you know, at this point in time, and primarily focus on web development, uh, UX design, and data science. But You know, as the program manager, my role encompasses quite a few different things. You know, it's one of those catch all titles, but most of my time is spent, you know, on the career services side and and kind of coaching, um, you know, these career changers through the job search process. But actually, before this, I spent uh, four years with the third largest tech staffing company in the US um, and actually opened up their first international office. And I didn't think I would be in staffing or, or the career kind of job search world, but uh, it turns out it's in my blood. Uh, my dad actually started a staffing company back in the '90s, so there was a lot of stories being told about you know kind of the dot com boom and and uh, what it was like working with some of those guys.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm um, really happy to have you on the show because it's hard to imagine somebody with uh, you know more experience and perspective on the you know the hiring. And the, you know, you know more of the, the career aspect, which I think is really important to, to a lot of the, the people listening. So what, what are the types of things that, that you feel a lot of developers may not really know or aren't really thinking about uh, staffing and interviews and things like that?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things I thought was, you know, really impressive about a lot of the conversations you've had with, you know, these engineering leaders and, you know, gosh, your your guest list is essentially, you know, it's like the Justice League of the engineering (laughs) world. And all of a sudden I come in and it's like the green arrow shows up and you're like, who invited this guy? (laughs) <laughs> but uh, hopefully I can. Just,
0: I, I just want to say, I think the very first guest on the show was Spencer Allen, who is a recruiter. So, you know, <laughs> we we try not to, you know, try not to just be engineers.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, a lot of those people spoke about is those soft skills that are super important. And, you know, it, until people get into the world of development, they, they don't really realize how important you know they are because writing good code and and understanding you know the pros and cons of whatever language or framework you're working with and you know building these cool applications is great but most problems arise from you know whether it's poor communication or you know the human element so one of the first things we have to talk about you know with a lot of our students is you know, one, take advantage of those soft skills that you do have already in place, because as a manager hiring somebody new, one of your biggest fears is, are they gonna show up on time? Are they gonna tell me when they're struggling with a problem instead of waiting till the last minute to be like, hey, I'm gonna miss the deadline. Um, yeah. So, you know, as you know, that that's more about, you know, kind of just, you know, any role, you know, kind of as you're getting into it, but from a staffing standpoint, I do think that a lot of recruiters uh, get a bad rap, but at the same time, I completely understand. You know, I hope nobody's listening to this that I used to work with, but I used to work with some of the dumbest people I've ever met. I, <laughs> I kid you not, I had to show somebody how to turn on a computer. And that was a technical staffing company. You know, Just the other day, I had a conversation with somebody who couldn't tell me the technologies that they were hiring for really was just saying the term engineer and developer uh, over and over again. And, you know, I told the students as I was passing them along to the company, I go, be careful, you know, this person is not technical at all. Um, And so what I think happens is that a lot of these early conversations with recruiters and, and, you know, sometimes people in HR is that people just write them off as they don't know what they're talking about. So I shouldn't give them the time of the day. And unfortunately, you know, early in your career, you, you can't, you aren't really in a position to do that. You, you have to kind of, you know, jump through hoops. It's uh, you know, if you've seen coming to America, Eddie Murphy, you know, tells his uh, first kind of wife that they set him up with, you know, hop on one leg and bark like a dog. And it's absurd, but she does it immediately. And it's, you know, of course, part of the joke that runs through the movie, but you kind of have to do that because once you get past that recruiter, now you get to talk to the engineers. Now you get to talk about the stuff that you really get excited about. And, you know, some recruiters take it personally. Um, some do understand, you know, that they're not technical people. And so I think one of the best things you can do is just kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But if they're not professional, if they're missing the calls with you, if they're rude to you, then that's where you can move on to, you know, the next staffing company or recruiter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, I guess, what are those signals that, that do that would say that dealing with a recruiter is a waste of time, like, like, or, or can you just not tell and you know you should be? Yeah, just go with it, because that's really shot.
1: Yeah, so I like to coach our students through, you know, accepting any first initial phone call or interview, because on the at the very, very least, you are going to get practice talking about your experience. So even if the recruiter, once again, is rude. They're unknowledgeable. They're unprofessional. You still get to answer the question. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about a project mm-hmm. that you've worked on. How many years of experience do you have with this? Um, and the more you can practice that, the better. Because of course, when you do get this amazing opportunity to interview with you know, a company that you're like, oh my gosh, I'd love to work here. You can knock it out of the park instead of stumbling across your words you know, early on. Now, a couple of the things that you know, I've seen recently, and and it's really sad because, you know, I I love LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a great opportunity for people to connect with, you know, others in the industry, and especially if you're trying to break in. But I have noticed a pattern of uh, fake job postings that have Mm. been going out and, you know, kind of scams that that these quote unquote recruiters are are trying to run. Um, Yeah, what's the the scam?
0: How does that work? Oh
1: my gosh. So, if somebody is emailing you from, let's say, a company like Netflix, and it says Netflix HR at gmail.com, it's not Netflix, like they're going to have a Netflix domain, you know, email address. And so you want to keep an eye out for that, because that is what I've seen time time So what's and time the play again.
0: there? Are they they're just trying to get somebody to respond, thinking that it's Netflix, and then they sell them on some other company? Or so what happens?
1: Yeah. From what I've heard is they are then walking you through the hiring process, getting, of course, your, you know, financial information and the way that they present it is we are going to ship you a computer or we are going to send you a, you know, a, a stipend to set up your own, you know, work environment. And then they send you too much money.
0: Oh, and wow. Send, it's like oh, a legit we- like scam scam. Like, Yes.
1: yes. And uh, I've reached out to companies and said, hey, just as a heads up, you know, for example, it's a hospital system. And I said, you know, you you guys have a a person out there on LinkedIn who's pretending, you know, to be you. And here's their information. They go, we're we're actually aware of this. And we reported it to uh, the FBI. So that's um, horrible. That was one of those things. Yeah, that's that's the bottom of the barrel. Um, that's one that obviously you want to you know try to stick away from And And if anybody is recruiting you through solely messaging, then either one, it's a scam or they're just a really bad recruiter because you want to talk to somebody about the job. You want to get your questions answered. Hopefully it's a red flag. If they're offering you a job with you, never ever having actually talked to somebody. I mean, like company. on the phone or something um, like that, or a video call. Yeah, it. Exactly. You know, at the very least, you know, on the phone, a, a video call obviously is, is a lot more common, you know, these days. And then, you know, we'll get back here soon to uh, to in-person interviewing. But another one that's always concerning to me is um, and I hate, you know, to, to bundle people up, but typically recruiters from New Jersey. <laughs> and, um, I was not often... expecting that. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's more often than not the fact that they they work for a foreign company, and so they're not really focused on creating a good client relationship, understanding what the hiring manager's needs are. They are solely looking at volume recruiting, Um, and they're often more often than not sending out a very copy and paste uh, message to you, and you know it says hi, you know David. Hope you're having a great day. Blah, blah blah. And as you read through it, you're like, oh, this this was easily sent to probably 50, you know, or 100 other people. Um, but if somebody personalizes a message to you, you know, and mentions something, let's say about your profile or a project that you worked on, then that's somebody who actually took a little bit of time to get to know um, what it is that you know you've done and and what you're you know you're, you're looking for, at least kind of you know what your skill set is. Um, and then the third thing I think people can look for is. Recruiters who have been at a company or in an industry for a little while. Mm-hmm. A lot of staffing companies hire people right out of school. It's actually how I got, you know, started. And nobody gets trained to be a recruiter. At the end of the day, they're salespeople. Mm-hmm. Uh, but good recruiters stick with it, and they actually enjoy getting to know the technology. And I still have a few friends, you know, who work in the industry. And, um, you know, one of them, you know, I I kid you not, I mean, like, he could sit on the phone with an engineer for 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. and they would be talking about, you know, the different projects that they've worked on. And, you know, the frameworks that are both, you know, kind of old stuff that they've worked with, and then the newer stuff, and he's, you know, sticking with them, you know, term for term, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, you got somebody else who's like, um so I've got a back end engineering role and um do you ever work with do you ever worked with React? It sounds like <laughs> it's a server. Like you're like oh okay that maybe. Yeah, don't
0: thing. don't know the difference between JavaScript and Java type of type of thing. Which is very yes, common. Yeah.
1: It it is. And uh gosh, I've even seen that on uh some of the the coding bootcamp, um, you know, multiple choice questions that they ask is, mm-hmm. you know, JavaScript is a coffee shop in Irvine. And you're like, run, <laughs> run away from that company.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, so assuming things go well with a recruiter, if you're going in, in through that, in that way, and I guess we can talk about other, other ways that don't involve recruiters. What, what are things that, That you find to be mandatory that that a developer should know about what comes next.
1: Well, you have to be ready for you know the basic questions, and there's a few that you're going to get you know in in almost any interview, which is, you know, tell me about yourself. It's a quick and easy one. It's cheesy, you know, because some people say, oh, well, can't you see my resume? Oh, you can look. You can get the information Mm. from my LinkedIn. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people who are in the hiring process or applicants who are you know, lying about the experience that they have. And so we kind of have to ask that question to hear you describe it and speak about it, you know, confidently. Um, so, you know, you got to be ready, you know, for that question, and especially somebody new to this space, because these recruiters, these HR people, and, and even just, you know, managers don't have it, you know, nobody really lines up in their day or their week and says, Oh my god, I got a ton of interviews this week. No, they've got a long to-do list and then they look at their calendar and they go, mm-hmm. Oh God, I've got an interview today. I've got to fit <laughs> that in.
0: <laughs> that is that is so true. I think that's something that maybe people know, but if, if if you don't or maybe if you do, bears repeating engineering managers, these hiring managers, like HR is not really their job. Like they they have to run uh, projects and lead teams and they've just got a million balls in the air that don't involve hiring and so you kind of have to or want to cut them cut them some slack and really just make things easy on them because this is not that's not really their job description like you know their job it, it, don't get me wrong hiring is a massive part of what makes you successful you know in these in these roles but They just have they they got to be running these projects, got to make sure everything else is is working well. A lot of project management, uh, a lot of dealing with products, things like that.
1: And, you know, they got a lot on their (laughs) minds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then add to the fact that not only do they have a lot on their mind, but very rarely is anybody trained, you know, to interview. So that's a good point. You know, you, you, you want to make it easy on them by, you know, being prepared. I, I mean, one of the easiest things for a somebody on the other side of the table to to tell is that you came in unprepared. You know, occasionally, you know, you'll get a call from a recruiter or something and you just weren't ready, you know, for that. But gosh, if you've got an interview set up, you've got to use that time to do everything you can to learn about both the company, the job description, and then also your resume. You know, you need to know your resume like the back of your hand because you're telling them, "Hey, here's my one page that I have right now. I have a lot of experience and I chose this stuff as the ones I wanted to showcase." Oh, but, Oh, I, I forgot that I have that on there. Like, you're like, no, you can't mm-hmm. allow that to happen. So right. tell me about yourself um, is a good one. And and one of the other reasons that tell me about yourself is such an important question to be prepared for is essentially you're leading that conversation by having a good prepared response that relates to the job description. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if, if you don't have something thought of the manager now has to fall back to, Oh god, I well, I guess I got to fall back to my list of questions or, you know, I'm, I'm just going to throw some technical <laughs> questions at you whereas I'd imagine you would enjoy much more doing a deep dive into somebody's projects or what technology they're learning recently rather than sitting back and asking them, you know, what's the difference between a library and a framework, simply because of the fact that that's maybe one of your knockout questions. Like if they can't answer that, okay, yeah. well that's concerning, but you know, you start talking about You know frameworks that they've worked with, and you know they're doing a once again doing a deep dive and kind of leading you along. You know it's kind of like this interview. Like I'm doing too much talking, of course, but you keep the conversation going because at the end of the day, you have you know an audience and an end goal. um, Uh, Yeah, it's it's
0: funny that you mentioned that. I was actually thinking about wow, that's kind of like podcasting. But it I don't know. I think the metaphor for me in the interviewing uh, is that you you are in a room. But the lights are on for you and it's dark for them. So they're going to be kind of stumbling around in the dark. And if you don't help them and lead them towards the parts of the room that you want them in, then, you know, it's probably not going to go as well as you want. Like you just might really want to, to give them the things that you want to show off instead of just letting them fumble around blindly. And they might grab something that, that isn't as
1: comfortable for you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, you know, examples I like to, or analogies I like to use with the students is you want to pretend like you're doing a puzzle, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're doing a puzzle, if you've got the board next to you, it is so easy. And Mm -hmm. when you're explaining your background or a project that you've worked on, or just any type of situational interview question to to a recruiter, hire manager, whoever's on the other side, if you paint the picture for them first now they can put the pieces in as you fill it in but if oh, i you love that don't paint the picture like if i don't tell you this is a web application that is similar to slack has these features with it and then i start to dive into the technologies you're still figuring out wait what is this app supposed to do and so by doing that you make it super easy on them you you control more of the conversation um you rein in potentially their imagination you know if they ask you what your weakness is and you tell them communication. Well, okay, now my imagination is going to run off to the last engineer that I hired who mm-hmm. didn't communicate mm-hmm. or the one who was just super rude all the time. And even though you could have just said, well, sometimes I get shy in meetings. Okay, well, that's a lot different than communication you know, as a whole. And then one of the other things I think people really need to be ready for is why do you want to work here? You know, companies want to hire mm-hmm. people who are excited to be there, and I think there's this slippery slope and kind of um, arrogance that sometimes comes with, you know, engineers and developers where they say, well, well, you know, you called me, or, you know, well, I'm the one who, you mm-hmm. know, writes the code, and I've done this, whereas, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting next to these people, or, you know, you're having to solve problems with them, so you want to solve problems with people who are happy to be there.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a really important one as a hiring manager if you are looking at somebody who's not really excited about the role it kind of doesn't matter how awesome they are because you're just really going to be worried that everything that you try and get them to do is like pulling teeth they're not going to put any extra effort into learning the systems and really go you know above and beyond and you're also just worried that they're going to you know, hang out for a little bit while they're looking for something else that pays a bit more or whatever. And then they're going to leave you, you know, and and wasting all the time that you put in training. You know, these are the things that are going to be going through their mind, whether or not it's true for you. Um, but there's no reason to project that that type of apathy. Uh, it's not going to help.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I had one client when I was working up in Toronto, who told me, you know, over the phone after the interview, TJ, this person is perfect but he didn't say he wanted to work here and i go i was like wait mm. what like that's why we're not moving forward and then i told the candidate the mm. candidate goes yeah well i mean i took another offer today anyways and i'm like <laughs> oh my god dude you are you are being blacklisted from you know any other companies and roles oh, that we're gonna no. have so yeah
0: oh no oh that's terrible oh man that's
1: yeah that's rough okay so well, i've i got a lot of horror stories today. i bet
0: Okay. So, yeah. So the, the, why do you want to work here? I mean, what, what's a good way of approaching, I guess, what's a, what's a good way of approaching both of those? Like, so, so the first, like, tell me about yourself and the, why do you want to work here? Cause I feel like those, I feel like both of those are also company dependent. Like you, you can't do the, I think if you give a generic answer of like, why do you want to work here? Like, oh, cause you know, you, you, you send out paychecks, right? I love getting a paycheck. <laughs> like like that'll quote unquote work for every company, but it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's a horrible answer, but, you know, it, it should be really like why this company and not any other company. And then I think also the tell me about yourself really benefits from keeping in mind what that company is looking for too, right? Because we're, we're not one dimensional. Um, you know, for me, thinking of myself as an engineer, uh I have a lot of experience with backend, right? So I've created uh ad servers that have handled, you know, really, really, really high scale with real-time analytics and everything like that, you know, 10 billion requests a day and all that fun stuff. But I've also done a lot of artistic front-end type work, sound reactive, you know, visualizers and things like that that have no backend whatsoever and it's up to me in a particular interview um, if I were interviewing for engineering roles it'd be up to me to highlight one or the other and so if I was going for a company that I knew was much more backend focused not very create you know creative and it was all about databases and finance and numbers and everything like that like I don't think I'd really open with my you know browser, Artwork, and I think anybody yeah. listening, you probably have the the same thing. Like there are different things that, y- like you have a choice. Like you 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 are a three dimensional object, and you're going to look different from different vantage points, and so you get to choose where you're going to place the the camera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of um, you know it's almost like you're going to a wedding or you know a, a you know a big event, and they have these trays of appetizers and hors d'oeuvres that they're walking around with, and you may not, you know, want some of them, but at least it's been presented to you as an opportunity, as an option. And so, mm-hmm. as you're talking to the interviewer, you kind of want to present a few of these different experiences and, and technologies, or you know, soft skills that align with the role. Once again, the easiest way to do it is just reverse engineer it based off of the research that you do on the company and the job description. And yeah. so, for example. If you're working and interviewing for an agency, well, yeah, talk about the technologies that they use, but also talk about the fact that you've worked in client facing roles in the past and you understand how to manage multiple projects and and, and deadlines and difficult clients. Um, And some managers are going to be like, yeah, let's talk more about that because actually we just dealt with that, you know, last week. Or they're going to say, yeah, well, let's talk more about the technologies. So you want to give them these opportunities to ask you about things that when they ask you, you're ready to talk about them. You know, if you don't give them anything to ask, then once again, like you said earlier, they are going to ask, likely ask something that you're not pumped about that you're, (laughs) you haven't worked with, you know, in a little while. And all of a sudden you're headed down this kind of, you know, slippery slope and, you know, you start to get a little bit nervous. And so, you, know, you, you can change it up. It's kind of like you know looking at a CV versus a resume. Like mm-hmm. your CV has everything you've done on it. It's got you know each project, each technology, and then your resume is, is that one page snippet that you're using for that company or that role based off of picking and choosing pieces you know of that CV. And so you know thinking about that going into an interview is, is important. You also you know want to keep things relevant, of course. There's nothing worse than hearing somebody say, you know oh well my name's TJ I grew up in northern california and you know i've got I've got four younger siblings and man <laughs> they are and all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh like how long is he going to talk about his family <laughs> this is a big you know, windup. <laughs> exactly you're like you're like dude i'm interviewing you for an engineering role and so one of the things i i or two pieces that i think are are good bookends you know for a tell me about yourself response is in the first line have something you know, that grabs their attention. You know, my name is, you know, David Gutman. I am a full stack engineer who loves, you know, working on the back end, mm-hmm. who's very involved with the community and, you know, runs a podcast where I help people become, you know, senior engineers. And then you take a step back and you start to talk about the past work you've done and, you know, maybe what you're looking for, you know, in a new company. Yeah. And then on the other side, you finish it off with what i like to think is kind of like a value prop. Like mm. if you could summarize your experience and what you're bringing to the table in one sentence, maybe two, then that's that's at least going to potentially save that interview or that kickoff because that's what they've they've last heard. Yeah. So if you can kind of have those two during the middle of it, you know, you might be able to you might veer off a little bit, but just keep those end goals in mind.
0: Oh, I think that's great. Yeah, the primacy and recency uh, for what people remember, super important. And yeah, don't, you know, starting off, don't bury the lead, you know, kind of give them kind of give them wh- how you want them to see you up front, right? So you just give them those easy labels, those easy handles so that real quick, you give them something to grab onto. And then in the middle, you you're giving them kind of like what you said, like those puzzle pieces that they, they can fit into those anchors. And at the end, I love the the value proposition, which is what you really want them to remember is, is here's how I will be able to make your life better. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: absolutely. And, yeah. and like you said, you know, while at the end of the day, you're going to get a paycheck they want to hear why it is that you want to work there which can be anything from you love the tech stack you're impressed by the team that they have and you feel like you can learn a lot from them you enjoy the industry that they're in or heck maybe you just love the culture of the company and and maybe even some of the philanthropic and charity work that they Mm -hmm. do with the community but Mm -hmm. you don't have to fake it by saying you're the greatest manager i've ever spoken (laughs) to and you guys build the greatest product of all time and they're like (laughs) I mean, thank you, but you know, <laughs> how honest are you?
0: Yeah, I think the first that first one would work on me sometimes, but yeah, uh, <laughs> um, there's always going to be something a little bit unique about about a company that you want to work for. I mean, I guess it's true that that if you're starting out, you really just need your foot in the door, and and you'll work anywhere. But even if that's the case, think, look at how the company sees themselves. There's gonna there's gonna be something about the way that they position themselves about their messaging that shows what they are proud of. And if that resonates at all with you, that's probably a good thing to to feed
1: back to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, getting back to that that idea of early in your career, you know, hopefully you you were just pumped to to learn like you were like, I just want to soak up all the knowledge possible. And if they've got a manager, if they've got one other developer on the team that has a few more years of experience, or maybe even just one year, you can still learn from them. Um, so that's an easy fallback.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because even if somebody has the same level, you know, of experience you do in terms of time, like, it's pretty rare that they would have had the exact same, um, like, coverage of, of what they what they know um so there's there's always always opportunity for for learning um so okay so another thing that i want to get into i'd love to get your your opinion on is it seems like many companies certainly not all a lot of companies really like to to hire juniors for for good reason but many companies don't want to hire junior developers in my, you know, junior senior has a has a private community, and this is this is a topic that that's come up, and we've we've discussed like a couple of reasons why this is. Um, in your in your opinion, what is it? What are those companies thinking when they don't when they don't want to hire a junior? They only want senior developers.
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, the first one could be the the. I guess the the, the read in that the job seekers are seen from the job descriptions. So they see a role that says junior developer. It says three plus years of experience, and all of a sudden they just say, "I don't have three years." They must not want to talk to me. Mm, and so like self filtering. Exactly. You know, kind of almost once again, just letting yourself yeah, making these assumptions without actually giving your putting yourself out there and giving yourself a chance. Um, and and unfortunately, that's. It's just human nature, and, and especially from an early job seeker standpoint, to do that because part of what's happening is the company puts together this job description with more often than not what their ideal candidate is, and and a lot of times these are unicorns. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a full stack developer who has you know three years of experience, yet they're paying them sixty thousand dollars. Well, probably mm-hmm. not going to happen. So. The company's still going to put those out there in the hopes that they get close. But what the companies don't do is they don't tell job seekers that, hey, by the way, we're actually only expecting you to have experience with 30 to 50 percent of this stuff. And we understand that the other stuff you're going to learn, you know, no matter where you start, no matter what company you join, there is a learning curve. And even if you know all of the technology stack you're still going to need to learn how to work inside of that company's workflow with the other team members, who their clients are. I mean, I was you know, talking to a recruiter who used to be at um, Tesla and, or sorry, not Tesla, SpaceX. And he was saying that they brought on one of the early senior engineers of YouTube and they said it took him uh, either three to six months to get up to speed. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a standard right there. So you have this like idea of oh they they don't want you know a junior developer and, and in reality it's kind of this idea that the company's shooting for these really high expectations they're going to see what they get part of it is the fact that they are trying to to weed some people out so if they put 2 years of experience on there they're hoping that some let's say recent graduates who aren't super confident in their skills hold back on applying they're mm-hmm. also hoping that they don't get the one click applications from the people who have zero development experience but like the idea, you know, of coding. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're gonna get some of those with, you know, the, the fact that you've got Indeed and ZipRecruiter and LinkedIn and Glassdoor, where they all have just one click apply. So part of it is the company kind of you know hoping to filter out a few candidates. Um, and then it's you know, from the candidate side not realizing that statistically, you actually only need to hit 50% of the requirements on the job description to have the same chance of getting an interview as somebody who hits hundred percent. And that's-
0: That is so important to recognize.
1: Wow. Yeah. And so you have that side, but then on the other, on the company side, part of it comes down to both the experience of the managers and then where the company is at in, you know, kind of their, their life cycle. You know, if if a manager hasn't had much experience bringing on entry level or junior developers, then of course they're going to be hesitant to do that. They're, they 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 don't know what that process is like, and a lot of companies struggle with onboarding. It's one of the reasons that turnover is so high in early roles, is because if you don't have a good onboarding in place, if you don't have a good um, training, you know, kind of setup or or mentorship where somebody's checking in on them, well. Heck, you could even be a great developer, but just not feel supported and want to end up leaving. Um, and then on the other side, where you have the you know company lifecycle, some companies just aren't in a place where they can take that time to bring somebody up to speed. Because let's say that they're a startup who you know just raised a Series A and they are fighting to grab market share. Well, they're probably not in a place to spend you know, four hours a week or six hours a week, whatever much it is, sitting down with somebody to train them on the technology and bring them up to speed. Um, and it's no fault of you know their own. They could love the idea. And I have this conversation all the time. Managers say, I would love to bring on a recent graduate, but my team is a little stretched thin right now. Or we hired a recent graduate actually six months ago, and we're still bringing them up to speed. Once we've gotten settled there, we're gonna open up, you know, another role. So there's a lot of different factors that go into play there. Um, But one of the things I do like to suggest to people looking to kind of, you know, get their foot in the door or, um, you know, kind of, I guess, let's say, you know, kind of punch above their weight class, if you will, when they're looking at these job descriptions is if the technology stack lines up with what you've done, then still apply. Because that company could either save your resume and your application for future junior roles or entry level roles, or they see that you have the, the basic foundational experience and they say, you know what, we were hoping for someone with five years, but we've had a lot of time trouble filling that role. What if we brought somebody in who's junior and we keep the five-year role open to see if we can get anybody and we'll bring that person up to speed? And I've had quite a few students who have done that. And you know, I'm always surprised when they're like, hey, I got a senior engineering role. And I go, well, you applied to a senior engineering role. You're not a senior engineer yet, but kudos <laughs> to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah the, there, there's like five there's five things that I think we we settled on when we were we were discussing this in the in the community of like what it is that companies are thinking of like why they want someone senior or, or more from the what they're worried about, you know or, or about hiring a junior. And so like the first one was they're worried that a junior developer is gonna be slow, delivering features or or fixes um so the idea is like oh i want this you know we we have all of these things in our backlog that we need to get done and a senior developer is going to be able to do Mm -hmm. them you know much faster uh and with less errors than a junior developer the second one is that the um i guess the second one is more is kind of related it's just the idea that junior developers are going to cause errors and bugs so the idea that they'll finish something but then that they they spawn you know more work you know like a hydra it's like (laughs) they cut one head off and then two more come up in their place and it's almost like a junior like increases the workload because they're they're causing issues and zendesk tickets and things like that Um, the third one is that junior developers will distract Other productive members on the team. So there are other senior developers or other people on the team that are clearing the product backlog. And junior developers will either need tasks broken down for them, like they don't know how to, you know, take something that is a larger business objective and turn that into, you know, small but meaningful things that they can actually accomplish. Or, you know, they have a hard time digging into the the current systems and figuring things out and so you know they run into any kind of hurdle or obstacle and immediately they just you know message someone and be like hey i need you to stop what you're doing and like teach me this thing um the fourth one is sort of from the business you know business perspective of looking down which is that yeah if we hire someone junior Like, they're they're not going to cover their salary. Like, we're going to pay them, and then we're going to be training them. They're not actually going to be releasing anything that's profitable or creating anything that saves our other employees time or fixing bugs that are hurting our business. Like, they're just not going to cover their own salary. And then kind of related to that is the final one, which is that I think these companies are worried about people earlier in their career because that's where the, you know, the learning can be really fast. And so as soon as you hire someone, you're spending time training them, and then the moment that they stop causing problems and cover their salary, uh, they're worth a lot more, and then they go leave for for a better, a better job. And I think these are really interesting because I have a hunch that for some junior developers uh, who are listening, these might be really disconcerting. Like these might just sound demotivating uh and just, I don't know, just n- will make some people think like, oh, crap, like, this is not for me. This isn't going to work. Um, but they're interesting to me because I feel like they're kind of they're like this checklist. Like, if you know that you can deliver features quickly, like, you know, there's nothing stopping you from doing develop on your own time and like you being your own customer. And if you know that you know, you built this thing for yourself and you have an idea for a feature and then you can build it quickly, like, then you know that you've got that one checked off the list. Like, and if you know that once you build that feature, you know, you didn't introduce more bugs, like, again, you 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 know that, that you can do it. So I guess the question that I have for you is if somebody knows that they aren't, you know, they don't cause these problems, um, what can they do to to communicate that to a company? So like a company might be like, Yeah, we, we only want senior engineers. But yeah, what can what can a developer do if they know that they're not running afoul of that? Um how can they how can they set themselves apart? How they how can they communicate that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I was gonna say the first thing they need to do is just listen to your podcast and start <laughs> thinking about these types of questions because you know, when you know I hate to say, I mean, let's not call the other side the enemy, but when you know what their worries are and what their, you know, either concerns can be and things that are holding them back, then obviously you can arm yourself with the responses much better. And mm-hmm. this is where that interview prep comes into play. And you want to look at, you know, yourself and say, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? And, you know, throughout the interview, the, the goal of the manager is not to see, what all of your weaknesses are, you know, they aren't Mm -hmm. sitting there to say, I'm going to ask David what his weakness is so that I can make a a decision not to hire him. No, they want to do it because if they know that you're aware of it and they also know that it's not going to directly affect and hold back their team, then cool. That, that is management. You, you know, your team strengths, you know, your weaknesses and everybody has them. And how do we align those team members best to help our team as a whole, you know, achieve its goals? And so starting out, you have to identify that, you know, in yourself and getting back to, you know, each of the things that you had mentioned, um, you know, the the first one of developing features, you know, fast enough, that one does take time, you know, that Mm -hmm. is there's no question about it, you have to write more code, you have to go through those processes in order to do it. One of the biggest mistakes, I think. Entry level people do is they fall into the, the practice problem you know, uh, uh, loop of, oh, you got to spend all your time on leak code or, oh, uh, you, you yeah. all, data structures and algorithms. No company is hiring you to do leak code problems. They're hiring <laughs> you to build things. So you have to go and build stuff. And whether that's a feature of a project that you have in mind or you go and find, I mean, one of my you know favorite groups to, for students to, to go to is, is Hack for LA. Mm, like that is a great yeah. opportunity to work with other developers, see how they do and start to train yourself and be aware of how quickly you get things done. Because as a manager, I mean, more often than not, you're thinking about, okay, I'm gonna scope this project out and I have bite-sized pieces that my junior developers can tackle but are they going to tell me in an accurate timeline how quickly they'll get it done? Yeah. Or, or are they gonna fall into the trap of overpromising and under delivering? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I've heard yeah. quite a few hiring managers who have said when I hear an entry level or a junior developer give me a timeline, I double or triple it oh, yeah. because they go, I know they I know they're not gonna get it done, you know, that fast. One of my favorite mock interview questions is actually to ask students, If uh, a client came to you and asked for a contact form, how long would that take you to build? Mm -hmm. And the trap is just answering as quickly as possible. In reality, Mm -hmm. you have so many things to consider, like what are the technologies? What information are we taking? in? Do I need to build the front end and the back end? By getting all of that, then you can scope out and give a more accurate estimate. There Um, is one
0: alternative, which I do want to point out to people. I agree that the the trap is to answer immediately um, because what you're going to do is... If you answer immediately, it means that you've got assumptions, like you're assuming what the technology is, you're assuming all of that stuff. And so you can either not assume and ask questions, which is probably the better way. But if you really want to answer quickly, you can say what your assumptions are. So you could just list all of the assumptions and give your estimate, but probably wouldn't recommend it. But I did want to throw that out there. Sorry for interrupting.
1: No, no, absolutely. And and I think it's kind of similar to approaching like a whiteboard. If you get a whiteboard during an interview, I I like to think there's two things that you should be doing. One, ask clarifying questions, make sure that what you heard is correct before you start to write the code and solve the problem, and then talk through your thought process. Because once again, the manager is not looking for you to be perfect. They just need to know how to manage you. And if as you're going through your thought process, they hear something that is wrong or you're heading in the wrong direction, a lot of times they might help you adjust and realign. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so- being aware, you know, timing yourself if possible. Um and then on the other hand, you know, when it comes to things like are you going to, you know, write some code that is going to create this hydra and break everything else? Well, <laughs> some of that's just attention to detail. Like are you double checking your work? Are you looking at what the team's standard operating procedures are instead of just assuming that, "Oh, I know how to, you know, merge a, you know, a, a, a feature into git. I'll do this, this and this." versus oh, it looks like the team names their Git commits based off of this section, I'm gonna do that. So it may take a second or two to get it going at first, but double checking your work and, and really avoiding you know, that slippery slope of, of just trying to rush through it is really important. Now, managers, of course, are going to be okay with the mistake occasionally, but mm-hmm. when you make multiple mistakes and it's the same one, oh yeah, it, it kind of shows that you're not really paying attention or taking this, you know, seriously. Yeah, also means um, you're not teachable. Like you're not learning. You're not yeah. going to grow. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there's the the other you know side of the coin. I think you brought up a really good point, which is companies are worried that an engineer or you know a junior level person is going to get trained up, and then they're going to leave. And I think part of this comes to, you know, the, the the employee, but I think a lot of it falls onto the company because mm-hmm. if you haven't created an environment in which they want to stick around when somebody offers them a little bit more money, well, gosh, you're, you're in trouble for not just your juniors, but you're also your mid-level and your senior engineers because you're, you're not taking care of your team. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite, you know, examples and companies to work with is Kelly Blue Book and mm-hmm. they know that they aren't, you know, competing with Amazon and Facebook and Google, you know, for these pay, you know, these salaries and very few companies can, but they've created such an amazing culture inside of their engineering team that when those people do get, you know, offers more often than not, they turn them down and stick with Kelly Blue Book. And it's crazy to think. And, uh, you know, one of the managers we talk to all the time has even said he's had people come back from those companies after they've left for, you know, the money. And so there are some... There are some. Yeah, exactly. I mean, gosh, it, yeah, it's super cool. And, and you know, their parent company Cox Automotive is actually consistently one of the most, um, you know, recognized or recognized throughout the uh, U.S. for the most uh, diverse uh, talent pools and stuff like that, too. So uh, they're definitely doing something right uh, over there. But, you know, on the other side, you, you do want to make sure from a, you know, entry level perspective that you Aren't solely focused on you know the money. It's important, mm-hmm. yes. You know whatever you invested in, whether it's a computer science degree, whether it's you know a coding boot camp, um, yeah. You're, you know you want to make money. Who who doesn't want to make money and let's say go buy you know that Tesla or take you know the trip that they've been <laughs> holding off on for a little while. But you also need to think about this as you know this is your livelihood. This is your day to day. Like yes, $10,000, you know, more a year seems great. But if you don't like the people that you're working with, well, that's not going to go great. And you're going to show up every day thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to look for, you know, something else. So you have, you know, kind of this balance and yes, it makes companies and managers nervous, but you know, during your interview process, asking the questions once again, like, why do you want to work here? What's important to you, you know, in a role in a company, where do you see yourself, you know, in, in three to five years? Because if a, a person comes in and tells you right off the bat that they want to work in the gaming industry and you're like not in the gaming industry, well, <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to start looking after a little while. Yeah. Um yeah. And then I think also you know checking in on people and and asking them how they're doing because I have heard from students you know that said well I've been here for you know six months or nine months and nobody's asking me you know how I'm doing or nobody's talked to me about you know potential growth opportunities or or raises at certain points they they're like I just feel like I'm you know another kind of cog in the wheel
0: yeah and I mean from the company perspective I think that's that's certainly there's a lot to be said there um, but I think you know, on that last point as, as a company, you know, not certain, you know, certainly not excusing it, a lot of room for improvement. But I think if you, yeah, if no one's coming to talk to you, and this is something that's important to you, then you should bring it, you should bring it up. You know, if you, if you know that there is something that you want to develop in your career, like you've done a lot of, you know, front end, or maybe, you know, more CSS surface stuff, and you feel like for your career you need experience doing more React or view or something uh, a little bit meatier or uh, maybe you are on the front end you want to move to the back end or back end to the front end or vice versa and no one no one's giving you that work and you're you're getting a little bit frustrated um, and no one's asking you about it that's that's a that's a good thing for you to bring up same thing with the the salary uh, if you feel like you have really grown and you are providing a lot more value to the company than you were when you when you came in um, and you're just a lot more valuable to them that's that's a really good cue to to have that conversation and not to just get really um despondent because they haven't brought it up and they haven't recognized you um there's a you know there's there's mm. a lot there's a lot of ownership that i think engineers don't don't have on their own careers and that they do just wait for the company to to recognize them and that can hurt them um so you know I, look i i don't want to disagree uh most companies can really uh improve their situation by having better processes and things like that but as you mentioned just like a lot of companies are not good at onboarding they don't have really good um Processes for for handling developer growth and and there's just a lot of things that are missing just because well that's not really what the company was was set up to do you know usually they're focused on the customer and other things and and mm-hmm. and just point I just wanted to put it out there that that if you are a developer and you're at one of these companies and you are frustrated that they are not taking the initiative uh you are not you know you're not powerless you don't need to wait for them
1: yeah. Absolutely, and and you know, it's something else that I think you know these you know junior and entry level developers can do is is relate back to your previous experience. You know, if you stayed with a company previously for three, four years, and through the good times and the bad, then then bring that yeah, up. That's so let good. Them know that you're not somebody you know who's just gonna you know hit the hit the you know eject button as soon as things get you know rough or as soon as there's more you know money out there. Um, give them the confidence and, and and one of the things and unfortunately this you're you're also you know, it's it's kind of a psychological trick because you said it. That's your word now. And so but you have to be truthful about it. You know, if you truly want to say, Hey, I value the opportunity you're gonna give me. I'm not gonna leave as soon as you've, you know, got me up to speed and as soon as I start getting calls from other companies. And heck, if I do get these other calls, then yes, I might entertain them, but I'm also going to talk to you that's, You, know, I'm that's give so you important. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, I get questions from students all the time. They're like, well, I got this offer from a company and I think I'm going to take it. And I go, well, did you give your current company, you know, a chance to, to match it or to, you know, see what they could do? Because sometimes, once again, if a company is truly underpaying somebody, then that's something that company needs to, to look at a little bit closer. But if a company has been taking care of you and, you know, you feel valued at it and, and it's good pay, but not maybe, you know, mind life-changing pay, there's still a chance that they could, you know, open some stuff up or maybe they could allow you, you know, to to maybe, and obviously this is a cheesy one now because everybody's working from home, but you know, work from home a little bit more, save some money on, you know, the commute. And and then finally you can always ask the company. And and one of my favorite questions to wrap up an interview is, I feel excited about this role. I feel like I'm a good fit. And so you got to show confidence one, but then two, ask them, do you have any hesitations about moving forward with me or bringing me on? I love that. It's, it's nerve wracking at first because it's kind of like you're asking them, how did I do, but you Mm -hmm. aren't doing it in the sense that, you know, you're unsure. Like you're, once again, you feel confident that you can do the role. Now you're asking them to say, Hey, is there anything, you know, that, that comes along? And maybe the company does say, you know, Hey TJ, you haven't had any experience yet. The last person that we hired, we trained up, they were here for six months and then they left. And you go, okay, well, let's talk about this because I was at this company, blah, blah, blah. And now you can give them examples and maybe kind of you know, reassure them. And it also gives the company a chance to maybe bring up something that their HR person won't tell you in that feedback mm-hmm. email. They're going to give you yeah. the generic, we enjoyed talking to you, but we're moving forward with stronger <laughs> candidates. And now you're like, yes, but what did I do wrong? Or what can I yeah. do better? You know, you can get more of that feedback um, in the interview, but uh, it is, once again, it's a nerve wracking question, but I think people should write that down, you know, before you go into an interview, have a list of notes and a checklist and things that you want to get covered or or maybe remind them because, you know, it's not like you're expected to be perfect in the interview. An interview is is very similar to, you know, a a, a client meeting. You know, you go in, you go prepared, you take notes, You, you don't just go in and wing it. And so why not prepare for your interview with some notes that you have now you know i, I accidentally got you know, i didn't accidentally but i was doing a mock interview with a student and this young person was uh, typing as i was asking questions and of course it was when there was no responses and so of course i knew that they were google oh. you know answers don't do that yeah no, but heck no. if you have a pen and paper in front of you and you're like hey i got my questions written down here I hope you don't mind that you know ask them or you pull them up on you know a notes section on your computer or something. Um, but, you know, be, be aware of that. Just don't obviously try to fake your way, you know, through. Yeah.
0: I was definitely thinking just like having, having like, you know, paper with like written, written notes. That totally makes sense. Okay. So I absolutely love that because I think a lot of developers don't really recognize or probably don't have a, you know, high view of, um, sales. But ultimately what you're doing is you're selling, you're selling yourself. And one of the, I don't know, schools of thought or important things with sales is that you have to understand the buyer's objections, uh, ideally as quickly as possible so that you can address them. And if you never know what they are, even if whatever you're selling, in this case, you uh, doesn't disappoint on whatever you know those those aspects are if you don't know that they secretly think that that you're falling short and you don't address them then it's never it's not going to work out the sooner you can uncover those those objections and address them the the better you know because in their head they might be thinking like just going to a metaphor it's just you know like oh we can never buy this car it's so unsafe like look at it it's a sports car And, you know, if you're the salesman and you never know that they're thinking that it's that it's like unsafe and that's why they don't want it. You just keep going like this car is so fast. It can handle like ridiculous hairpin turns. And like it's amazing. (laughs) And even if it's got the five star like decked out, you know, uh, safety, it's just not what you thought to address you know, they just might be like, okay, thanks. We'll let you know. And then they have the conversations like, yeah, we just can't do it. It's just not safe enough. And like, that could have been a deal that, that went, went through. And I think it's the same. Um, and I don't know if I really want to push people into thinking really in a sales mindset, if that's going to have an unintended consequence, but man, selling is a really, really important skill. And I was just, I think it was a tweet by Naval where it's like, if you can build and you can sell, like you're unstoppable. And this is kind of a good place to practice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the areas that you, you know, you can as well is when you are working on projects with, you know, other team members, and, you know, whether it's a, a, you know, an intern, like an actual, you're full time at, at your team and you're, you're practicing there, or it's just a, you know, fun project that you join together with a group of friends to do. Um, because just communicating what your thoughts are and where you're, what you're feeling, what you're coming from is an important skill because a lot of, you know, people early on in their career get too nervous to speak up. And sometimes they have these great ideas or these solutions to problems that somebody else wasn't thinking because they're so far ahead, their head's so far up in the clouds that they miss, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's, you know, down right at their feet. And, you know, that's, that's, it's not sales, but, you know, it's, it is this kind of confidence of, Hey, I can do this or, Hey, you know, I, I'd like to share, you know, this idea um and you know once again getting back to the interviewing you have to managers don't want to hire an entry-level or a junior person who isn't confident in their skills because either one they aren't that good and so okay cool you've helped us identify that or two they're going to second guess everything that they do and getting back to one of your other concerns they're going to be bothering the team members to say hey can you double check this hey i I just wanted to ask this question really quick and you're like Oh my God, TJ joined yesterday, and he's asked us fifty questions already. Like, <laughs> you know, we 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 got to stop telling juniors hires that it's okay to ask questions because <laughs> TJ just ruined it for everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, TJ, this has been amazing. I feel like I could talk to you about this all day long. Um, where can people find out more about you online? What you do?
1: Well, LinkedIn, you know, I, I love it. Um, you know, it is just, uh, LinkedIn and, and, you know, my name is TJ, uh, Kenyon, K I N I O N. And on top of that, uh, try to put out, uh, quite a few videos, um, on YouTube about little job search tips. And, um, sometimes they're tech specific, sometimes they're not, and that's, you know, going out through our learning fuse, uh, bootcamp page on YouTube as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we try to put out a lot of content um, you know, that can be used by anybody because mm-hmm. you know, whenever I see a boot camp that's talking about like, oh, we have this secret sauce to teaching, you know, these languages, I'm like, no, you don't. This is all open source. Like, anybody <laughs> can do it. Like I've even had students come and say, "Hey, I'm going to go try the self-taught route." And I'm like, "Yes, go do that. Save your money if you can." But we know it's tough. So, you know, our mm-hmm. thought is you know, obviously, what we're teaching, we we do feel very confident in our curriculum. We put a large focus on the fundamentals because it's easy to overlook those when you start thinking about the sexy stuff like React and Node and TypeScript. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. You know, those aren't going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But the career services side, the job search process, is is often where people struggle and. It is unfortunately the most negative feedback loop that most people will endure in their lifetimes. You know, Mm -hmm. dating can be tough, but at least in dating, you aren't getting constant return emails from somebody telling you, you don't have enough experience, (laughs) you know, and you know, when you're going through the job search, the best thing you can do is, is stay active as soon as you stop. As soon as you stop applying, as soon as you stop coding, you've, you haven't even just set yourself back for a day. It's almost as if you've taken a full week back where you were going before. So um, I think it's really important for people to try to find and identify those activities in the job search process that they they do enjoy, things that maybe lead them to burn out a little bit. Because if you can keep an eye out for those burnouts um, and those you know, kind of triggers that push you away from staying active, mm-hmm. um, then at least you can keep moving forward. And uh, as we both know, there, there's plenty of jobs out there. There's plenty of companies that are willing to give opportunities to you know, people who are new to this. So you don't want to get discouraged by all of the rejection letters you get because you never know if that next email or that application or that networking event that you go to is going to be the one that creates the opportunity. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. We will put all of that in uh in the show notes there, LinkedIn and
1: YouTube. Sounds great. I appreciate it, David. This has been a ton of fun and you know, as uh as I've you know mentioned before, I, I've loved sharing your podcast episodes with the students because there is such a you know demystifying um, effect that it has about what really goes on you know in the engineering world. It's not it's not Silicon Valley, kind of is sometimes, but it's uh, <laughs> it's not really what you see on TV as often as they you know dr- dramatize it to be.
0: Awesome, thanks. Yeah, try and be try and be a little bit different here. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Having trouble finding senior front end and full stack engineers. Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la/sponsorship or send me an email at davidjs.la. At